Keith Jarrett's predicament was a happy accident. But there are those who take it for granted that such accidents can and should be planned. They feel that messy situations will tend to provide fertile creative soil. In 1976, David Bowie fled to West Berlin. The unearthly, ambisexual rock star had repeatedly shredded the rule book for rock and roll, creating one persona after another, from Ziggy Stardust to the Thin White Duke, until he found himself stuck. He was beset by legal troubles. His marriage alternated between indifference and contempt, and he was taking too many drugs, which he planned to kick, in the words of his friend and housemate, Iggy Pop, in the heroin capital of the world. It was a dangerous period for me, Bowie reflected over twenty years later. I was at the end of my tether physically and emotionally and had serious doubts about my sanity. Bowie put down roots near the Berlin Wall, Hansa Studios, where he and Iggy Pop recorded a series of groundbreaking albums, were overlooked by East German machine gun nests. Bowie's producer, Tony Visconti, remarked that everything about the place screamed, you shouldn't be making a record here. But amid Berlin's great museums, legendary bondage clubs, and tormented geopolitics, Bowie found what he needed. New ideas, new constraints, and new challenges. And then, of course, there was Brian Eno. Eno had already found fame as Roxy Music's crazy keyboard player and as the creator of a new sonic aesthetic called Ambient Music. Now Bowie had brought him in to play an undefined collaborative role alongside Tony Visconti. Visconti himself was recruited by Bowie with this sales pitch. We don't have any actual songs yet. This is strictly experimental and nothing might come of it in the end. As Visconti and Bowie struggled to find a new direction, not so much composing songs as carving them out of blocks of sound, Eno took to showing up at the studio with a selection of cards he called Oblique Strategies. Each had a different instruction, often a gnomic one. Whenever the studio sessions were running aground, Eno would draw a card at random and relay its strange orders. Be the first not to do what has never not been done before. Emphasize the flaws. Only a part, not the whole. Twist the spine. Look at the order in which you do things. Change instrument roles. For example, during the recording of the Lodger album, Carlos Alomar, one of the world's greatest guitarists, was told to play the drums instead. This was just one of the challenges that Eno's oblique strategies cards imposed, apparently unnecessarily. The cards drove the musicians crazy. This annoyance cannot have come as a surprise to Eno. During work on an earlier Eno album, Another Green World, the cards reduced Phil Collins, the superstar drummer from Genesis, to hurling beer cans across the studio in frustration. Faced with one piece of card-inspired foolishness, Carlos Alomar told Eno that this experiment is stupid. The violinist, Simon House, commented that the sessions often sounded terrible. Carlos did have a problem, simply because he's very gifted and professional. He can't bring himself to play stuff that sounds like crap. 
Yet the strange, chaotic working process produced two of the decade's most critically acclaimed albums, Low and Heroes, along with Iggy Pop's most respected work, The Idiot and Lust for Life. Low was arguably the bravest reinvention in pop history. Imagine Taylor Swift releasing an album full of long, pensive instrumentals, and you get a sense of the shock. It's hard to argue with such results, and Brian Eno's oblique strategies now have a cult following in creative circles. The Berlin trilogy of albums ends with Bowie's Lodger, a record with a revealing working title. It was originally called Planned Accidents. Given both Jarrett's and Bowie's experiences, it seems that arbitrary shocks to a project can have a wonderful, almost magical effect. But why is that? One might expect that the answer lies in our psychological response to these curveballs, but that is only partly true. The advantage of random disturbances can also be seen in a far more technical realm, mathematics, full of practical applications. Take the question of how to lay out a circuit on a silicon chip. Starting with a description of what the circuit should do tells us which parts of which components should be wired to other components. But there are trillions upon trillions of conceivable ways to lay out the wiring and the digital logic gates that make up the circuit, and some are much more efficient than others, making a big difference to the performance of the chip. This is an example of what mathematicians call an NP-hard problem. NP-hard problems are a bit like enormous combination locks. If you're given a solution, it is easy to check if it works, but it would take an impossibly long time to find the solution yourself by systematically trying every combination. 